Welcome to the Wiser Wealth Management Roundtable. We believe the best financial advice should always be conflict-free. I'm your host, Casey Smith. Joining me today is your co-host, Brad Lyons. Hi, Brad. Hi, Casey. Well, uh, Brad, I, I want you to think about something. I want you to think that it's 1991. Okay? You back in time? I actually remember that year. Um, I, I, I think I was a freshman. No, I may have been in middle school. But uh, let's say we, we crossed paths. <laughs> <laughs> and um, in 1991, and I told you, in 30 years, former Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, right, he's just a movie star in 91, right? Yeah. Would call out President Donald Trump, the real estate guy. He would call him out uh, for treason, right? And all this just after, I kid you not, Becky from Full House gets out of prison. Aunt Becky? <laughs> for prison. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Right? These are <laughs> If we cross paths, I feel like, what's this kid smoking? <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, these are crazy times that we live in. For That's um, uh, probably an understatement of the show right there, but... So today, um, you know, we're we're going to cover a financial angle to something that's starting to be in the news that I don't think people understand fully. Um, it, we're trying to steer clear of the politics of it, but uh, the topic today is Section Two Thirty. Uh, Section Two Thirty is what's allowing uh, the social media companies essentially to censure a, a sitting president. Well. I don't know that I've ever seen uh, in, in my lifetime uh, a, such a small, obscure amendment in a code creates so much conversation and so much angst in people these days. I, I put something about it on Facebook, and one of the first comments was, was that, uh, well, these, uh, uh, these uh, uh, internet companies don't, don't like it either, but uh, they're willing to pay higher taxes um, – uh, because they hate Trump, and I'm like, this has nothing to do with taxes. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just deleted his comment because he look, he made him look st- himself look stupid. You know, people will just put guy. together <laughs> obscure points, as you said, together and create some sort of explanation for everything, whether it has any validity whatsoever. Right? I, you know. So I, you know, I've gone through this. I, I probably have researched this more than I think than any other podcast we've we've done, and and it really has two sides. Um, one of the story, two stories, really, I was kind of uh, really got into is there was a bicycler. She like she does competitive uh, racing. Uh, she uh, she ended up over in Wuhan uh, before coronavirus started, and she had an accident. She had a spill. And uh, there is a uh, – we all know where the uh, flu came from now, but back then there was a conspiracy theorist that had determined that she was like person zero for COVID and that she – Chinese are saying, well, latched onto it and said, oh, yeah, well, the Americans brought it here. She was an American soldier uh, bicycling. Um, and then – it it ended up having seventy something YouTube videos referencing her in it. Uh, some had her home address. She was getting death threats. Um, just 
totally turned their, her her and her husband's uh, lives upside down. And what's interesting to me is that um, uh, n- none of it was none of it was really true. Um, you know, but it could just be out there, and people were buying into this conspiracy theory. Well, um, people. F- you know, come up with conspiracy theories sometimes because they're they're as we said earlier they're, they're putting together different pieces of information in a way that makes sense to them because the actual truth doesn't make sense to them and our brains just don't work that way so we try and put together a storyline that fits our comfort our bias the way we think about things um, and in this instance. The fact that she was there, the fact that you know the the, the virus had you know shortly begun thereafter, um, somebody just obviously put these two things together and said, "Well, that makes sense," whether it had any validity or not, um, and it has created a terrible situation for her and her family. There is, uh, it was really hard to track down who was publishing and, and posting these things. Uh, there was one particular person that seemed to be peddling most of it he was removed uh from from youtube he's banned from ever posting again he he was connected with other conspiracy theories out there as well uh, another story that that kind of hit home to me was imagine losing your child in a school shooting sandy hook right and the internet had determined that that sandy hook would didn't really happen it was a hoax and this father didn't actually lose his five-year-old son and his address got published and he got death threats of how he was uh some conspiracy to uh that he was pushing a narrative that about sandy hook right right uh he actually started a whole organization that helps people fight back uh when they're when they're a product of these viral um conspiracy theories and there's other things out there too there's uh we never landed on the moon right the earth is flat that's the latest one i think um and and then the um uh obviously uh 9-11 was uh was planned by the government and the pentagon wasn't that was an airplane that hit it. That was a missile. <laughs> it just goes on and on and on <laughs> with these conspiracy theories. Um, but I think the one we're we're seeing the most of uh, is that you know President Trump got roughly seventy one million votes in his favor. Still about what ten million shy uh, of 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 winning, uh, at least a popular vote. And um, now all of a sudden we see him being removed because he believes that. There was some election uh, hoax happening, uh, and so under that, under the same rules uh, that that all these other things were removed that we just discussed, um, they're blocking him and removing uh, the content about uh, stop the steal and and things of that nature. Well, I suppose you know as president, he's susceptible to uh, the same thoughts that everybody else is trying to make you know some sort of sense of what what just happened. So let's go back to uh, uh, before 1996. <laughs> Two companies here on this paper uh, that I hadn't heard their names from uh, about in forever. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Um, oh, the CompuServe yeah, and Prodigy CompuServe cases? CompuServe and Prodigy, yes. So. Those are names of companies <laughs> that go so far back. You know, the old dial-up on the internet days? That, that's right. So we have we – have, <laughs> how did it go? Uh, we have – CompuServe, which, you know, I think there were chat boards back then, is what they were called. CompuServe chat board, uh, 
they didn't regulate the, the comments. Uh, people posted things. They post anything and everything, and they just let it go. Prodigy would uh, monitor. So they would remove foul language and things that wouldn't be appropriate uh, on their platform. Both end up getting sued over what's on the platform. So the, again, these are, these are just companies that are creating that, that allow the technology to post. That's essentially all it was. And CompuServe wins because they didn't, they didn't um, monitor anyone. It's right. Like, hey, so it was we're presumed, not responsible. You know that they weren't responsible. That and that they since they weren't treat they were treating everybody equally, and so whether the person's post was accurate or not, they made no judgment as to whether or not it was you know the the validity of it. And then Prodigy ends up being guilty because they it appeared as though they were monitoring. Right. They were just monitoring mostly language, right. but. They, and that makes sense, and, and you think about it today, like that it you would content. expect them to do that. But once they were monitoring some, the courts presumed, you know, in favor of the what would be this the plaintiff or right, the, right. no the prick probably, right, you know that they indeed were in you know monitoring it all. So in 1996, Section 230 is added to I guess it's the um, FCC uh, uh, code. It's not like it's not an IRS rule. It's a it's a, a you know, government code for uh, this section. And basically it says this. Um, it amounts really down to one sentence. No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. So, other so when you unpack that, you have to see what all the yeah. different entities are. So the on the last tour is the information provider. That's anybody who posts. Anybody who wants to say, express themselves in any manner is a provider of content. That's Correct. you and I. That's, you know, people who tweet, people who post things on YouTube, people who, you know, share with each others about what they're happening in their lives via Facebook, you know. So what this did is help promote the internet in the very beginning of the internet, right? So you and I are liable for what we post. That's right. right. We're still liable. But it allows Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, YouTube, YouTube, right, uh, allows all those services to be free and clear of of liability for anything that you post. Right. So – that goes back to uh, now. There is a Good Samaritan law. It was this partially was revised. To, they can go through and clean up stuff on their own. So essentially, what what Section two thirty does is allow these these uh, media players uh, to be able um, to to do what they to police themselves essentially, mm-hmm. which they probably aren't doing that well. Which is the problem that Prodigy <laughs> ran into back in nineteen ninety five, but now it's they're protected right. by the Good Samaritan law. Correct, and you would hope so. You would expect that that they'd be good corporate citizens, police their um, their sites for anything that is inappropriate for any potential viewer of that. You know, and they have to look for a wide audience in many instances. So, if you think about it, I guess from just from a product standpoint, if I go out and I Say okay, anybody can post anything on my site. Um, it could be that people don't want to use the site because they come to it and it's just a bunch of junk. 
Like, you know, this makes sense. It's almost like Craigslist. If you think about it, you know, it's just, it's confusing. It's, there's a lot of bad actors out there. You know, you get concerned about it. So you say, ah, forget it. I'm not going to do anything here. Um, where then if you moderated everything, then you wouldn't go there either because it's not real people talking. It's, it's somebody's voice. Who's, screening everything right it's no longer a platform for what we call free speech you know that it is speech that has been filtered through the systems of the content or the uh, of the platform provider so those are two extremes yes these i think these platforms are trying to find this middle ground where uh they are removing anything that they know is false who determines yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> That's part of the problem, right? right. Um, right. And, and that trying to keep trying to keep it where where it seems like real people are behind it. Well, you know, in in layman's terms, you could think that the internet for many years has been like the wild wild west. Yeah, true. and they made up their own rules and laws back then right. for that area. But then when you know it it grew up, you know, it got settled. Right. The law did come, and. <laughs> You know, created you know more of a, a, a equal law platform, if you will. So what's interesting is so Section two thirty protects Twitter and Facebook uh, and Google or YouTube from being sued. It also gives them the power to do whatever they want in policing their platforms. Mm-hmm. So I guess my concern is you have three or four people that are now more powerful. Than, than, than the government. They control the media. Most people don't get their news from the paper anymore. Most people are getting their news from their Facebook feed, their Twitter feeds, right? And, and even that word news, you know, they're getting news, they're getting information, you know, they're getting other people's thoughts and ideas. Right. Right. You know, and w- when we take that into and, and trying to assimilate it into our thought process, it gets convoluted. You know, and then what we actually do after that is start gravitating towards those same publishers time and time and time again because it's easy for us to understand. You know, and we don't want to hear things that we don't understand. Whereas the traditional news media, they presumably are presented news, good and bad, every night. You know, right. for years and years, and people are supposed to have the ability to discern. You know what they think of this, but the well, internet that, that has provided news, people with news, the ability to gravitate. Yeah, I, I would say even even like uh, with onset of cable news. You know, we had headline news for a long time as a channel, and it just had the news, and it was twenty four seven cycle, right? That's right. We don't really have that anymore. The, the news is pretty much a commentary show. It's become editorialized. You know, Sean Hannity is not the news. No, <laughs> right? No. no. The lady on MSNBC, I can't remember her name, uh, is it Rachel? Rachel Maddow. She's not the news. No. Uh, Those two are almost borderline entertainment. Uh, Jim Cramer is not the news on CNBC. That is an entertainment show. He is there to entertain you. So, uh, you know, we don't have the Walter Cronkites just (laughs) quoting the news anymore. No. Uh, Because even even on the news hour... Uh, it's hardly it's hardly uh, unbiased anymore. So I, you know, going back to Section two thirty, you know, we're trying not to get super political about this, but there it has everything to do with politics. Both sides want to get rid of Section two thirty completely. Yeah, politics is bringing this to the forefront. 
Absolutely. Yes. So both Democrats and Republicans both want to eliminate Section 230 for two totally different reasons. <laughs> right? <laughs> so That shouldn't be surprising in today's age. <laughs> Democrats say that Section 230 hasn't done enough. Uh, allowing, for example, platforms like Facebook and uh, to be a place where foreign governments can disseminate propaganda. They're still on the Russia thing, you know, which I guess that part actually happened, but <laughs> nothing else that they actually <laughs> claimed actually happened. Um, Republicans feel the law has gone too far as well, arguing that uh, because Section 230 allows companies to judge what content violates their terms of service, uh, they use it to censor conservative viewpoints. So Democrats are saying, hey, anybody can post anything that's not right. It should be it should be moderated. And the Republicans are saying, hey, you're moderating our voice and our opinions, not to get our voice and opinions out. Um, there's got to be some middle ground. So it shines some light on what the problem here probably really is, is that who or what becomes the purveyor of what's right and what's wrong. Right. Okay. Now, that's, that's going to be a difficult um, uh, problem to solve, regardless if it comes from legislation or it comes from the corporations themselves, because somebody isn't going to be happy about the solution. So I'm trying to figure out what is what does getting rid of Section 230 completely mean for Twitter and YouTube and Facebook? Um, if it goes away completely, that means that they're going to be treated as publishers. They'll be treated no different than than uh, the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. If they publish something, not in the opinion section necessarily, but if they publish something um, uh, in their in an article that's false, they could be held liable for that. Yes. Right. Yes. So, if that's the case, if tw- if you're if there's six thousand tweets a second, you have to develop the AI to be able to go in and, and screen those and then have more people monitoring the tweets and even maybe researching the, the tweet to see if it's false or. And then the, 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 the publisher <laughs> of the, of the tweet to see if there's been a pattern right of, of false tweets. Or... And then you're opening yourself up to a lot of lawsuits. That's right. Just like we saw in the CompuServe and prodigy. That's right. Scenario yeah. back in the nineties. So what does it all mean to these companies business model? That had prior or current, I should say, is like a, a an open platform for comments and discussion within the bounds of common decency. If we could just put it like that, that's yeah. interesting. That's an interesting question for investors to consider. I, I think they probably have to move to some type of model where it's pay to play. You're you're going to pay ten bucks a month or eight bucks a month to subscribe to the service in order to offset the costs. Yeah, because you can't run enough ads to cover that cost i wouldn't think especially if liability um, becomes an issue right so there's probably some points in between that and complete destruction of of the service um don't know what that is this is all very new but i would i would think that uh, uh i would think that 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 would definitely change the business model i would think um given that we know that uh the internet and uh, technology, I won't say it's here to stay, without a doubt, and it's going to continue to evolve, evolve, and we'll want it to evolve because it is enhancing productivity, it's enhancing quality of life, it's enhancing ability for people to communicate and stay in touch, and we we certainly want that to occur, but we want it to occur within 
certain restrictions and, and boundaries, right. just like everything else in, in a civilized society. You know, I went back and I was trying to look at what Biden was going to do in his administration with Section 230. Um, there was a New York Times article where he says Section 230 should be revoked immediately. Um, but, you know, ever since uh, the Trump censor, uh, he's been uh, really quiet about it, almost avoiding the question. Um, I will note that his chosen deputy chief of staff, uh, his name is Bruce Reed, has had a vocal opposition to Section 230, uh, calling it um, uh, ir- irresponsibility cloak. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think it probably needs to be repealed, but there there probably should be ground rules laid out saying that you're not liable, but you do have to police these things, right? Yes, yes. Um, I would think that they're going to continue to limit or shield much of the liability so that there can be a freedom of speech and a dissemination of thought without, you know, undue barriers. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I, you know, I, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to the stock prices as this uh, gets discussed over um, maybe the next year or so. I, I don't know that it's a top priority for anyone at this point, and it may all just kind of fizzle out once uh, the administration officially changes. And there's, uh, but there, there's certainly uh, millions and millions of people who are upset about what it's doing. Uh, and then even, you know, you have a certain segment of people, they're going to move the parlor, right? And so I saw all this on Facebook, moving to parlor, this is my code, this is my code, moving to parlor. And then Amazon throws their hat in the rink and says, well, no, we're deleting you from our servers <laughs> under Section 230. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so I don't know. I don't know. We, we need to have truth. We need to have um, – uh, a lot of people will, will will fall into believing a lot of these conspiracy theories, and so I understand the importance of of squashing it, especially the ones that affect individual people and families. Yes, but you know, at the same time, um, the conspiracy theories, you know, ha- have been around a long time. This isn't necessarily uh, a new thing. Well, it's just a bigger microphone for it. Exactly, it's uh, conspiracy theories on steroids, is what it is. You know. So it's going to be difficult to quiet all these voices. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we move into a period of time where there are disclaimers, there are you know warnings, there's things of that nature. Um, but to fully get rid of a communication platform when our First Amendment is you know freedom of speech, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a difficult task for any legislative body to to come together on. The majority of the big tech uh, con- uh, political contributions, they all went to the Biden administration. Uh, it's like 95% of it went went to the Biden administration. Yeah. Um, or the Biden campaign, I should say. So I, I don't know how that plays in it. Um, you know, we have um, <laughs> uh, we, we have a situation where now where uh, large corporations are cutting off uh, donations to any Republican senators. A few, a few said no political contributions to PACs and uh, individual um, politicians. I, I kind of feel like that maybe 
maybe we should have um, no money ever going from corporations to politicians. But um, I guess John McCain would have liked that statement. Yes, he would have. <laughs> you know, um, it, it wouldn't be surprising if we see big tech um, actually try and get out in front of this a bit in order to guide legislation, not just in their favor, but in in terms of where they're planning on taking the internet, if you will, and helping people who don't deal with this on an everyday basis, such as our legislators, to have a better idea of, of what is perhaps going to happen in the future. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see them actually proposing legislation to do a little bit more self-regulating, things that they can you know take a step towards you know, in terms of uh, monitoring some content, making yeah. sure that it isn't a full repeal or shutdown. Yeah, it's. I, I think it may have to be solved, maybe by the FCC chair, in the end, like in under in that committee level, because I, I just I just looking at where the money goes, I feel like the big tech has bought the representation that need to protect their their entities. Um, so the solution's probably somewhere in the middle, not not um, dismantling Section 230 altogether. But it does pose some risk to the business model, and that's something that uh, you should monitor. Uh, one of the reasons why I don't always like uh, individual stocks is uh, you, you could take on a lot of additional risk like this, where obviously in index funds we don't have to we don't have to worry about it as much. No, not as much. No, our allocation to tech um, is you know extremely diversified within the within the sector. So um, it's it's not. You know, a, a one uh, uh, incident is going to destroy, <laughs> you know, a sector's returns. Right. Exactly. Well, um, I hope this was a little more uh, enlightening to everyone uh, listening on the podcast today. Is something that I felt like that I needed to understand um, to understand the landscape and in our own portfolio. We have a, a slight tech overweight. And I wanted to know what what additional risk were there because of Section 230. And this is kind of a summary of what we what we came up with. Brad, a great conversation. I'll see you next week. Sounds great. Wiser Wealth Management Incorporated is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.